1: Hey, everyone out there. Welcome to another episode of Smart People Podcast Conversations that Satisfy Your Curious Mind. I'm Chris Stemp. And I'm John Rojas. Hope that everybody's doing well out there, getting ready to round out the year. We have the last episode of 2013 coming to you right now. Thanks for listening wherever you might join, wherever you might be hearing us, probably your car, perhaps a walk, whoever knows. That's the glory of podcasting. So, anyways, We're going to dive in. Not much to tell you here, I don't think. John, you you don't have anything special
0: to say right now, do you? I have nothing special to say right now. Merry Christmas. Check out our new mobile site that John just fixed. Happy holidays. Yeah, if you're looking at the site on your phone, just go to smartpeoplepodcast.com. You can see the new layout for our mobile design. It's actually pretty cool. looks pretty sweet. Yeah, it looks nice, and you can still get to the Amazon banner there as well. It's at the Uh very bottom of the page on the mobile website.
1: Anyway, so let's dive into it. This week, we talk with Maddie Dykwald. She is a leading expert on the changing demographic trends, both generation and gender-related, and how they shape the marketplace, the workplace, and our lives. As many of you are probably aware, the baby boomers are aging, they're retiring. It's leaving a massive gap at the top of the corporate food chain, if you will. You got these young bucks, the millennials and whoever comes after us. And they're changing a lot of the way that we work, working remotely. So Maddie co-founded a firm called AgeWave. And basically Age Wave does a lot of research around this topic. And they present and they explain it to their clients and really to the world to help understand what our demographics and the change in these demographics is doing to the economy. Uh, Maddie is also an author. Her newest book, Influence, How Women's Soaring Economic Power Will Transform Our World for the Better, explores how women are the major change agent of the decade to come. Maddie writes for
0: a lot of places on the web, all kinds of cool places like Bloomberg, Businessweek, Forbes, Newsweek, Time, you name it. She's probably written for it. So go check her out. Check out her website, maddiedichwald.com. And tell a friend about Smart
1: People Podcast. We're really trying to get the word out. 2014 should bring a lot of awesomeness. We appreciate you listening. Tell us what you think. SmartPeoplePodcast.com. We are going to turn it over to Maddie. Enjoy. Thank you again so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Before we kind of dive into more, could you give us just a quick background about yourself and how you got to, to be all that you are, which is the co-founder at AgeWave and an author, consultant, all that good stuff?
2: I don't think too many things go in a straight line, and my life is definitely not gone in a straight line. I started out way back when, uh, being an actress. And I worked on a soap opera for a while, did tons of commercials. I mean, I was a working actress. And when I was doing that, I was fascinated by the whole idea of aging because I was in my 20s and I would hear women in their 30s complaining about being old and i would take a look at them and i'd say what are you crazy Mm -hmm. i mean you're a young woman and will be for a long time but they were so uncomfortable with it that i got curious and uh through the process of life i met my husband ken who was involved with really old people i mean people (laughs) who were in their 70s 80s i mean people who were elderly and we started just Talking and thinking together and we began to realize was that there was this misperception what aging really was and When it affected you or and how it affected you and that there was this feeling at the time And this was way back when in the 1980s like 1986 uh, We began to realize that most people thought of 50 as being over the hill and you know when you think about that today that seems ridiculous But that's what people were thinking, and what we decided that we were going to do is we were going to change that image of aging, that we were going to make it hopefully kind of a little bit cooler to be older, to be over 50, and maybe even just kind of redefine the landscape of what is aging and what it can be. Uh, from a health standpoint, from a productivity standpoint, from an aspirational standpoint—that's kind of where I, how I got into it.
1: No, that's really great. I appreciate that. And so many thoughts and questions came out of just that brief statement. The first one being. The idea that fifties over the hill I think is completely dependent on how old you are because yeah, of I remember when I was 15 even, I, I, I really remember this like this yesterday. I was going, man, at 30, you're just an adult. You might have a family. You're just old and you're responsible and boring. <laughs> and now I'm 30. Yeah, and
2: responsible <laughs> is a big part of what that's about. I mean, I have kids who are in their early 20s, and that whole responsibility thing, it feels like sort of a noose that the more you tighten it, the worse life becomes.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, there might be a little bit of truth to that. But, <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know. When, I know. <laughs> when, no comment. <laughs> yeah.
1: One thing I was wondering, I actually saw some kids, you know, younger kids, maybe 10, 11, get off the bus right outside my house today, and And I I realized I don't feel that far removed. I mean, granted, I don't feel like I'm 11, but...
2: How old are you? (laughs)
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm 30. But, you know, do, do you notice in your studies on aging that people ever truly feel like an adult? Or is it just you always think... That oh, if I, once I'm there, I'll feel like an adult. Once I'm there, I'll feel mature. Because I still don't really feel that.
2: <laughs> you know, I really think that some of that has as a very individual thing. My mom, for instance, and I don't necessarily think this is such a great thing. Um, she's 84 years old and she feels like she's a teenager. Right? I love that. <laughs> <It's> weird, right? <laughs>
1: no, it's great. I, hope, well, I yeah. hope I feel like that.
2: Well, you know, but there's there's two sides to that. I mean, yeah, on one hand. It's not that she feels so healthy and vital and energetic. Mm. It's more like she just feels sort of like arrested development a little bit. (laughs) And don't ever tell her I said this. Let's hope she doesn't (laughs) listen. She won't want to listen to
1: this. (laughs) But,
2: uh, you know, there is a little bit of that that goes on in it. I know I'm um, older than you are, and I do feel very responsible. It was when, and the turning point, the, trigger for that was really having kids. Yeah. Once you have kids, whether you're 18 or, you know, 80 years old by in vitro, something or other, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think that having kids makes you view the world a little bit more in a more responsible manner. You want to make the world as corny as it sounds, a little bit of a safer, more secure, happier place for your kids. And you want to provide for them something that's special and You know, I think that's when that responsibility thing hit me anyway.
1: Sure. No, I can completely understand that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I really can't understand that. And that was just something I thought about. I want to kind of dive into because I know with Age Wave, you guys do a lot of things studying population aging and its implications on our world. Is that a good kind of brief overview?
2: Kind of. Yeah, we mostly work with businesses. um, So and we do a lot of consulting, a lot of research, as you said, and then we go out there and, you know, Ken and I in particular, but other people on our staff also, we do keynote presentations to corporate audiences, you know, at association meetings. And if there's a conference for, let's say, you know, either an association or for a big company, I know one of you work for Deloitte, you know, we've, work for them. I mean, we go in there and we we do these sort of infotainment presentations to get people excited about what the work we do and how the world is changing because of this aging demographic. Uh, And we also, you know, Ken and I both write books as well. We kind of cover the gamut, but H-Wave itself is very focused on the aging of the population and what it means for business. You know, how it's going to change the world, what kind of products and services are going to be needed, and how the general consumer is going to transform himself. I would also say, so that you don't feel because you're 30 (laughs) Mm -hmm. that we're not talking about you, we also talk about the different generations and how they're different from each other, how they influence each other.
1: That's actually something I'm extremely interested in. So let's talk about it. Could you briefly kind of let me know, say, uh, maybe the past three or four generations, what you guys have discovered are different? We all hear these things. I'm particularly sensitive to the whole millennial uh, stigma, if you will. Much of it, which I believe is true. Don't get me wrong. But I'm interested to hear from an expert like you, if if you could give us that kind of quick presentation about generational differences.
2: Yeah. And you can do that. Um, you know, there's basically four generations alive today. So the youngest are the millennials. And I, you know, I actually, I'm not sure you actually fit into the millennials. You're just at the edge. Some people would say you do. Some people would say you don't and it's not based on it's, you know, it's, it's, Population bubbles, if you will. You know, how many live births are there in a particular year is how a generation ultimately gets defined. Hmm. And, but the millennials are the youngest and they're primary, they're children of both Gen Xers, but primarily baby boomers. And they are mostly, you know, people think of them as being very highly educated overall, but yet we know there's a segment of them that are very undereducated. But no, in general, they like education. They're comfortable with technology. People think that they have self-esteem issues, which is, I'm sure, one of the things you're referring to, <laughs> because you know they've got trophies just for showing up instead of for performing well, and that that's followed them. That that rep has followed them into the workplace, and that they're very picky. But you know what? I don't really blame them because. Us, the parents, the baby boomer parents, which I would put myself in it, we told our kids, you know what, you should find your passion and follow it. And that's what you're trying to do. So So (laughs) yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. So, uh, you know, my bad. (laughs) I created that. But um, and my kids are, you know, definitely like that as well. I mean, they seek education. They really want to feel. They avoid the nine to five rat race as they think of it, and mm-hmm. they try to be more free agent type workers. And uh, they try to be very passionate about the things that they work on. Mm-hmm. You know, they they take work that seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, now again, some people think it's self indulgent, but I think ultimately it's going to be great for the world. Uh, Then there's the Gen Xers. Now, that's the smallest population segment. Um, It was a very, very small generation. And as a result, they don't get a lot of respect. Uh, People bypass them. They don't pay attention to them. But they were sort of that latchkey generation. Their parents were the first generation with high levels of divorce. Uh, Many of them had to end up taking care of themselves because both of their parents were working. They had dual income parents. So they were Kind of, so they're very independent as a result. Yeah, they're more independent. They're very relationship shy. They took a lot longer to get into relationships when they did, and were a little more frightened about them. And uh, they like to work very independently in the workplace. And I'm sure, you know, you know people like that. You, sure. In fact, you may be a little bit of that yourself. <laughs> then, of course, there's the baby boom generation who've always, and I'm one of that generation, they've always had a bad reputation. You know, it's sort of the me generation, the generation that was narcissistic and, you know, the first generation, by the way, of women to not just, be well-educated, but enter the workforce and stay in the workforce and take on positions of power. And I think when people look back at the baby boom generation, they may think of that as being the biggest gift that that generation provided to the world at large, frankly, changing the role of women. And... um, the oldest generation, I'm, I know I'm just giving little snippets here, but the no, oldest generation perfect. are the matures. Uh, it's actually several generations, but because they're so much older, they're kind of dying off and we kind of combine them. But they're the pre-World War II generation. And, you know, they many of them grew up in the Depression. They're much more financially concerned worried uh, and practical uh, they also are the kind that were very loyal to their employer they mostly had just one job their whole lives and they're the ones who've taken early retirements and are living in all these retirement communities uh, all over you know Florida Arizona New Mexico
1: wow no that's perfect i really appreciate that cuz i was i was kind of hoping from your perspective and all that you do in this arena we could get that little overview Now, when you go present to, say, a company like Deloitte or often the types of companies you go to with AgeWave, what are you usually trying to get across to them? Are you trying to benefit them through the business they do or are you trying to help them manage their workforce better or both?
2: Mostly I'm trying to open their eyes to the opportunities that are inherent with either the aging of the workforce, aging population as a consumer base. And or, you know, the whole women's thing, because I, I mixed it all up. <laughs> Probably it's like a mashup <laughs> pretty consistently. So, for instance, just as an example, um, we may, we do a lot of work in the financial services realm. The people in the world of financial services, they are dying to understand the women's market because over the last three or four years, women have become investors. And this is relatively new stuff. And they're not used to dealing with women as their clients. They're really good at the bulls and the bears, but to really have a relationship, which is more what a woman is looking for, and to talk about more than just the numbers, which is definitely what women are looking for, you know, I'll talk to them about that and tell them how they can make their practice more effective and get that woman, adv- woman clients aboard and make her happy and or even more important, couples. When you're looking at financial services, for instance, 75 to 80% of all the clients are couples. And again, Financial advisors were used to dealing with just the guy, Uh and that's completely transformed itself in the last five years. So they need to understand that. So that's one example. Another is if you're going into – we'll stay with financial services just to be practical. Um, They're very interested in the baby boomer marketplace because – They're close to what's been traditionally retirement age. They're not retiring the way their parents and their grandparents did. So they're very, very interested in them as clients. And on the flip side, a company like Deloitte, a company like Merrill Lynch or any of the financial services companies, they're also interested in that aging workforce uh, because boomers just aren't retiring the way their parents and their grandparents are. And the generation right behind the Gen Xers, as I've already mentioned, It's a smaller generation. So they want to hold on to, the employers want to hold on to some of that talent in the form of baby boomers. And
1: that's definitely something I wanted to talk about. Many of us have heard about this talent gap between baby boomers um, and Gen X and, and even Gen Y. What have you guys learned in your discoveries in your business How are we going to fill that gap? Is there going to be this real dearth of talent or is that just somebody trying to create fear and news out of not that much?
2: (laughs) Well, there is something there. I mean, if you go by by a strictly demographic observation of the dynamic that has taken place and you look at it from a traditional perspective, it's a huge problem that we face. Huge However, as I just pointed out, baby boomers just aren't retiring the way their parents or their grandparents did, nor should they, by the way, for a variety of reasons. You know, there's like about 3,000 reasons, but, you know, you could just whittle it down to the fact that they haven't saved enough for retirement and they're living longer. So, you know, you put those two things together and and they don't want to be bored. I mean, they want to stay engaged. So they're going to stay in the workforce longer than... Than anyone ever expected, and that's got some good news, bad news attached to it. You know the good news is, yeah, companies need that talent that's awesome, uh but you know the Gen Xers who are right behind them it, they feel like the baby boom generation has been in their way every step along their path at work, and now they're going to stay longer. <laughs> Give me a break, I mean they hate that. <laughs>
1: I can actually really totally understand that because maybe it's a millennial thing, but I know many of us feel like even after we've only been in the workforce one, two, five years, oh, we should be in a position of power. We know about technology and we're fast moving and nimble, but there's something something to be said about experience, something that I didn't realize for a long time in the professional world. And so I can imagine you know the struggles between those that have the experience saying, hey, you have to earn your stripes and those that are trying to push through that barrier.
2: Yeah, there, there is a difference. But, you know, to your point, I think it's important to remember that each of the generations brings different characteristics, different strengths to the party. And if we can find good ways for older workers and younger workers to mentor each other so that a younger person, for instance, can help an older worker get more tech savvy, maybe feel a little more flexible about things. And this older worker can help them gain some of the experience and wisdom that they've taken you know, years and years to accumulate. I mean, it's a win for everybody.
0: Have you guys found through your research like an optimal pairing of generations? Are there well, two generations that work the best together?
2: It's a really good question. Uh, and I'm just speaking anecdotally. But anecdotally, I would say that the millennials and the boomers work very effectively together. And part of it is that they don't feel competitive with each other so that you take that competitive edge away and suddenly it's an open door. I mean, the baby boom generation, I think, really wants to to use the word that everyone used to mentor. They want to pass down their knowledge and expertise to somebody who cares about that knowledge and expertise and who better than someone young. And at the same time, they have a little bit of a fear but a strong interest in staying relevant in terms of technology and being able to use, you know, use Twitter and Pinterest and everything else that's social media and technology oriented in a very effective way. They just they feel intimidated by it. And if somebody could show them who was younger in a way that didn't make them feel like an idiot, Hmm. then that would be awesome.
1: That's what John does. Well, at least that's what he tries to do. I think that's why they pay him at Deloitte, but...
2: (laughs) Well, that's good. Somebody's got to do it. (laughs) Yeah, that's
1: true. I want to transition a little bit because I, I can tell the passion that comes out when you talk about kind of the changing landscape of women in the workforce. And I think it's a really cool topic, one that we haven't talked about too much and one that, frankly, I'm not extremely familiar with. So, and I know your book, Influence... How Women's Soaring Economic Power Will Transform Our World for the Better is recently written, and you you talk about all these things. Could you kind of give us an overview about your thoughts on that?
2: Oh, wow. That's a huge question. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Well, let me try to put it into demographic terms. And, and by the way, the reason I love demographics, which I think are so important, most people think I'm a total nerd for loving them. But mm. what I love about them is that they are completely predictable. And in this time that we live in where there's so much that's unpredictable, it's great to have something that's Predictable because it gives you a window into the future. And business leaders have long understood that if they can have that window into the future through demographics, their job just got a lot easier. So um, I think of the women's thing as a demographic issue. And the whole role of women and their economic future, I think of it as a great human leap forward, something that may be the biggest change agent for this decade and the next several decades. And it not, doesn't just affect women, it affects men equally. And to me, that's one of the most important points to keep in mind, because when you change the balance of things, it sometimes can feel like the other side of the equation is losing something. But in this particular instance, with women gaining economic power, I believe men are actually gaining something too.
1: I actually completely agree. I mean, people always say, "Oh, do you think you could be a stay-at-home dad?" I'm like, "Hell yeah! If I could, if I could find a sugar mama." I'm not saying that's what you're alluding to, but we have something <laughs> it to gain. Was
2: exactly what I was alluding to, but <laughs> yeah, there's some truth to that. Uh, yeah, you know, I know that when I was doing focus groups, when I was working on my book. This issue came up all the time, and I would sometimes do focus groups with men, and in one instance, I did them here in the Bay Area, and the group was a group of men, a couple guys in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. We even had a guy in his 70s at this hmm. particular focus group, and this whole issue of, you know, what happens when women gain economic power, there was a young guy in his 20s who stood up, you Now he was a teacher, and he stood up, and he was a swim coach also, and he said, hey, you know what, I would love to have a woman marry me mm-hmm. be willing to marry me who was like this hotshot executive <laughs> because then i could do what i love which would be to stay home with my kids huh. that would be fantastic and what was so interesting is the younger men in their 20s 30s and 40s they were nodding they they got it they understood but the men in their 60s and 70s mm-hmm. looked at this young guy like he was an alien <laughs> That's, that's really
1: interesting. Yeah, I it was interesting. I don't think I've thought about it much because I wouldn't mind it. But I, I can see that, that must, that's a recent occurrence, the idea that it would even be okay for the woman to be the primary breadwinner. And I know that I, as it comes out of my mouth,
0: I know it's pretty I, obvious. But I'm even going to say not even just the primary breadwinner, but like an equal breadwinner where both of you guys are bringing an in income and able to do the things that you love and that way, there's not all the stress and pressure on one person in the relationship. I mean, that's something that I think more and more people, I'm starting to see my friends do the same thing. And it's, it's a good thing to see because I guess it alleviates some burnout.
2: It does. And it also gives people the chance to what I think of as cycling. You know, for instance, do you really want to do the same job for 20 years working? We all know jobs are not nine to five anymore if you want to, you know, rise up in any kind of a company. I mean, they're like 60 hours a week in some instances. I mean, they can be really difficult. So maybe you wanna go back to school at some point or maybe explore a second career. And if you have a relationship, a partner who can pick up the slack for a couple of years while you find your sea legs, isn't that awesome?
1: Oh my gosh. If you want to if if we want to get into that talk, we can talk for another 2 hours because I mean John and I both completely agree. How have you found in doing all this work? How is this affecting family life though? Because I mean
2: complicated. It, you know, you just hit the 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 button.
1: Yeah. No, I I'm mean, I'm, I'm just interested cuz my, you know, that's my mom, she was a stay-at-home mom and so I understand how that works and now I'm like, "Oh, how's it going to be with You know, dual income, two parents working, which I'll probably have in in my relationship.
2: Yeah, well, and I had that in mind, and it's very complicated. Um, The part when I interviewed women and men, what I heard over and over again is the most difficult thing. No, it's a great concept. Yes. We're going to help each other. We're going to both be very empowered. We're both going to be able to do all the stuff we love. And we're going to get to spend great time with our kids. It's an awesome concept. But the reality of it is that it's a constant negotiation. And that constant negotiation is very tiresome. And people are continuously making compromises. You know, just as an example for myself, my husband and I, back before we had kids, we were both on a fast track and traveling all the time and working really hard. And we had kids and we had one kid and then we had a second child. Hmm. It's the second child that really gets you, Hmm. really gets you. And, you know, frankly, you both want to spend a lot of good time with your children. I mean, it's not like one parent loves the child more, but I was willing to say, okay, we can't continue on like this. I mean, it's just not fair to these two beings that we brought into the world. So I was able I went to working on a flex time schedule. And so my career, honestly, was I was able to keep my hands in the game and continue working. But I wasn't on a fast track the way I was before. And that's just what's so.
1: You know, that's that really got me thinking because the whole idea of flex schedules or I know a lot of my friends who are women who are nurses and they work three days on or however it might work. Everybody or a lot of people say that's due to technology and the, rem- the ability to work remotely. But yes. it also could be the result of we have both adults working and something had to give. Somebody has to be at home. We can't always put them in daycare. And it was kind of a natural way of working itself out.
2: Yeah, and it was a luck, lucky convergence of technology with sociology. Yes, you're 100% right. You huh. should be interviewing yourself.
1: No, no I, I, that's that's why I like these conversations, though. They bring out these thoughts that hopefully other people are sitting in their car, or wherever they are right now, going, ah, oh, that's a good point.
2: So, yeah, it is. A, it's a really important point And, you know, it, it's a continuously changing environment. So we'll see what happens, you know. But I... I know that young people today assume that they're, I mean, let's face it, and and this is at the bottom of things, honestly. Whether we like it or not, what used to take one income to take care of a family back in the 1950s now requires two. And that's the sad truth of it. So it's not good news, honestly. I mean, I wish I could say, that's just statistics. I mean, unfortunately, that's the truth. I mean, when they talk about the shrinking middle class, that's what they're talking about. Right. You know, I mean, it hits all of us and we don't even understand it because we're so in the forest, we don't see the trees. But the good part of it is that it does give everybody the, the chance to develop their natural talents so for instance if you're married you know i'll just take my husband as an example he he was an awesome sales guy i mean amazing he was able to develop that sales skill i am a great writer i was able to to really develop that i mean i if i didn't have that opportunity to do that you know it would be a shame Mm -hmm.
1: no i completely can see where you're coming from as we were talking about this, and I was thinking about your book, women going into the workforce and really holding a lot of positions of power, some of the, you know, most prevalent business minds. I mean, I think of Ariana Huffington and kind of what she's done for the news medium in general or Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. And what I'm thinking is, and perhaps I'm stereotyping, but it can happen. Well, you know, Nothing good ever I, comes I, after making that kind of comment. Well, like I really think this is true. And so I'm just saying this and then I want you to take it from here. But do you find that women are better at the relationship aspects of work? So if it's selling, they're more relationship oriented. Or if it's going in and providing services, they focus on... The relationship that's built between the client? And if so, how has that benefited or been a detriment to the corporate America?
2: Okay. So you are stereotyping. (laughs) Okay, good. That's what I was, you know, I just really thought. (laughs) But that's okay because it's a stereotype that everybody has embraced. (laughs) So um, I think that if you go back 10 years, that was a hundred percent true. And it's still true to a great extent. However, the good news is that women have shared the wealth. They've used these talents and skills, their relationship skills, their interest in collaboration, their ability to listen very effectively. I mean, all the things that we you know, applaud women employees for, men have seen, the smart guys have seen, ah, that really works well. Maybe I'll try that. They have embraced that. I mean, you really see that in the world of sales, for instance. Um, a A smart, savvy sales guy, whether he's been selling financial services, insurance, technology, whatever, it doesn't really matter. They're intuitively asking these questions and being collaborative and, you know, really trying to build a relationship. It's just in their instinct. But if you go down a level and you look at a guy who's used to doing transactions, but he sees... One of his colleagues, who's a woman, you know, just killing it by having this kind of relationship going on with her clients or customers, he's going to learn pretty quickly.
1: Or else he's going to get fired.
2: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or else he will no longer be there. And, you know, the smart ones, the savvy ones, they get it. And now it's becoming, at this point, institutionalized. I mean, Companies recognize, oh, yeah, relationship. I mean, at least they talk the game. I don't know if they actually <laughs> do it, but they do talk the game.
1: Yeah, we've actually heard that a lot as we talk to executives and consultants and everything on the podcast. It's There's been a very common theme of relationship-based and help people first and provide value. So whether it be just talking the talk or actually walking it, I think it's a step in the right direction.
2: It definitely is. And and it's, you know what, it's it's good news for the world of business. And it's also really good news for men. And, you know, I would say at the same time that if you were to go back, and I interviewed some experts on men about this, and it was so interesting to me. They were saying, you know, what men, what women gains by entering the workforce back in the 80s, they learn to behave more like men. No, like it or not, they did. I mean some of them were very good at it, and some were not, but they gained that skill set now, men are gaining the skill set that that helped women succeed in the workplace I
1: like that oh, that 's a great way of putting it. Well, you know, I know we 've gone a little bit over on time, but i do I find this stuff fascinating, and we haven 't covered it much, so i 'm really thankful you could be on the show again. Your book influence how women 's Soaring Economic Power will transform our world for the better is it's just a fantastic read. If people are interested in this topic, it's a must read. Where else can our listeners go to learn about what you do and and find out about upcoming works you might have coming out?
2: I am working on, I'm just beginning work on a new book called New Beginnings. <laughs> and it's about, you know, it, it will be when it comes out, which who kn- don't hold your breath. <laughs> but you no, know, it will be coming out probably in about, a year and a half, but it's really about how people want to keep reinventing themselves. No matter if you're 30 or 75, I mean, you want to go back to school. You you don't want to be in one job your whole life. I mean, that's the whole idea, that people do want to be many things in their lives. And living a longer life allows you the freedom to do that. So it's going to be exploring that whole thing. So look for that. And then, of course, you can go to my website, I tweet all the time, Maddie Dykewald. So you know, Maddie Space Dykewald, or how you know, it's pretty simple and straightforward. And uh, and there's also the Age Wave website too. So those are a couple of good places.
1: Perfect, and we'll definitely link to all that on your blog post at SmartPeoplePodcast.com. Perfect, Matt, thank you. Maddie. Thank you so much for being on the show. I actually really am looking forward to that next book because. I'm already about four careers into my life, so I completely understand that and would love to hear your advice on that. So best of luck with that and with age wave And uh, again, we really appreciate it.
2: Thank you. It's been fun.
0: All right. Have
1: a good night.
2: You too. Right. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you,
0: Maddie. Bye. Bye. Thanks for sticking around. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Maddie. Please head over to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Check out the website. See what's going on over there. Head over to iTunes. Leave us a review. Yeah,
1: we haven't had many reviews lately. We got to do that thing. We're going to give some stuff away.
0: We'll do some type of contest here in the near future to give away some cool prizes for people that leave iTunes reviews. Yeah. It'll be
1: easy. Yep. But you got to be connected either on Facebook or probably our newsletter to find out that stuff. But, anyways, all in all, it's been another great year. Thanks for being a fan. Tell a friend, holler at us, and we hope to have
0: a great year to come. Here's to 2014.